All right, guys. Welcome to episode. Is it five? I think it's five. Um, I think it's four. Four. Uh, yeah, four is five is going to be next week. But yeah. episode four of my Management Three Hundred podcast here with Jeremy Breeze sitting down for uh, a conversation about Culture Code by Woo-hoo. Daniel Coyle. Um, we got a lot of energy this morning, despite the like, you know how cloudy it is and everything. But yeah. I'm I'm feeling good about this. So um, yeah, we're just going to sit down and talk about creating great company culture. Um, kind of leading into, you know, this entire conversation is our last conversation on, on, uh, bad leadership. And now we're going to talk about some good leadership. So welcome Jeremy and, uh, and let's get going. Great to be here. All right. So my first question, and this is kind of, you know, one that, one that, uh, I think you'll like is, is like, why, why would we, why do you, why did you choose this book specifically because, um, I felt like when I was reading it, it was just, it was, it was really different. There was like constantly, um, compared to the other two books, it was, you know, a little bit, it was structured and maybe a little bit more fun for me. I don't know what it was, but, um, what would you say to, to, to that? Because the other books seemed a lot more, okay, this is, you know, here's a problem, here's a solution versus coils kind of setting you up and taking you through these different life stories and all these different things. So what would you say to that? Uh, okay, so yeah, just a little bit of context. So the reason I kind of chose these three books, I, I've shared this in class a lot, is I wanted to talk about good leadership and bad leadership. And I think that the the first Break All the Rules, it's really just a book designed for here are the quintessential task behaviors, things that good managers do. Then bad leadership is, hey, here's all the, all the ways that bad leaders behave so we can put our finger on it. And... And then I wanted to kind of broaden the scope or uh, pan out and look a little more contextual to say, okay, well, what creates the culture in which a manager makes good or bad decisions? And that's really, to me, where Daniel Coyle's culture code comes in is he, he's really, it, 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 I feel like it's much more focused on the relational component of leadership and the, the contextual components and to your point, how this book felt a little different to you, I would agree with that. I, I really like, I felt like the first two books had a little bit more of an academic-esque yeah, approach. Maybe that's exactly what I was thinking, yeah. And, and Daniel Coyle, he kind of, um, I think he does a good job. It, as he, he asks a foundational hypothesis question. What is it that creates, like what is it that good leaders do? How do they build culture? I don't even know if that's really the question he started with. I think he just wanted to go and, and he, at, at the very beginning of the book, he says, I just wanted to go find out how good teams are built. How do t- people work well in teams? And in this book, just, it's almost like he didn't know the answer, so he wasn't advocating for anything. So we just went and had a lot of conversations mm-hmm. and, and went to the best of the best people that design and uh, create structure for teams. And then he just reported out his results, and it naturally fell into the three the three buckets that that we talked about. And um, I think that's why it feels different. It's it's it was more of a journey for him. Yeah, yeah. What are your thoughts? No, yeah, I, I like how you said that. You know, with with not really understanding and knowing the answer to like the the end of the book, like he was just like, we're just going to take it from here and just go figure out where the best teams operate and how they operate, and. That's kind of to the point of, of the earlier presentation that we watched about, like, the open mode. It was like, you, we, we didn't really have any kind of direction. We were just like, 
here we go you know let's be as creative as possible so yeah the first two books i think they already they knew what they wanted to say when they put pen to paper yeah and and when they said hey i have a great book idea this is what we're going to say daniel coyle was just like i don't know what i'm going to say let's just go find out what they say and then i'll write whatever i find that's so it and this is just a side note but i'll just ask you this so you've mentioned in class that you were thinking about writing a book what would be, what would be what would be the what would be your strategy on that? Would it be like more like this, or would it be more like first break all the rules? That's a really good question. Well, because it's directed to me. And, yeah. You know, we we everybody loves to talk about themselves. Yeah. Um. I think it's probably more of the former. I I have an idea of nobody steal this idea. Okay. <laughs> all eight because people. Because it's a. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh, yeah I, before the podcast started, we were joking about how many people actually. Uh, sorry, that sounds like a cut on you, Matt. No, no, no. It, no. I, it's I, a cut I, on me that nobody wants to hear me talk anymore. Um, I, I, if I were to write a book, I will write a book. Uh, it's going to be more of the former, where I, over my research and almost a decade now of looking into psychology and human behavior, I just, I've realized that, that so many freaking things in our life, and in this book, this book is a perfect manifestation of that. You would never. You would, if you were to go out and ask an average person, an average college student, "Hey, what makes a good leader?" They would normally think, "Well, intelligence, uh, you know, uh, skill, res- skill, yeah. resources, uh, so on and so forth." But what this book continually shows us, and I, I guess that's what we'll get into today, is just how important the tiny, subtle Tony Robbins two millimeter changes are yeah. in, in human dynamics and, and in building rapport and trust and uh, collaboration. And in uh, my book would be more of a, I've seen too many of them. I've seen too many situations where people think A and the truth is B. Yeah. And, and I, I just feel like the world, it, it's just dogma. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that could be the name of the book. Is like, oh shit, yeah. Oh, like, sorry. I've seen, I've seen too many, like something like that, like breaking dogma yeah. or something. Yeah. yeah. Actually, I I thought a lot more about the title. I want it to be like super catchy, like everything yeah. you thought is wrong. Yeah. <laughs> All red. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All yeah. So that's a good I, question, though. Yeah. yeah. I it's it's gonna be the former. Yeah, I think I've seen enough things that I'll just report out on those. But but I will tell you this: there is another project that I'm working on, where I want to go. I, I research accountability. Don't know if you know that, but mm. uh, I, me, and a colleague at University of Mississippi. Hopefully, he will participate in this research. I want to go out and interview like a hundred, two hundred managers in in all different fields, all different levels of of organizations, and ask, hey. How do you use accountability? Hmm. Do, you, do you use it as a teaching tool? Do you use it as a reprimand? I am fascinated with how managers and leaders use their their accountability, mm. accountability pressures. And because no no one's done that. You'd think that by 2021 that we would cease to like we we'd know everything we need to know, but god, there's so we know so little about how people wield accountability pressure. Gotcha. That's a that's a great that's a great thing. I, I like that. Um, so to answer your question, I have two projects, and one will be of each. Oh, okay. Exploratory versus just 
yeah. a little bit more academic. Yeah. Or, yeah. Okay. So this is the, this is one I've been, I've been curious to ask you. So of the three that, that they're, you know, the three key points, right? Build safety, share vulnerability, establish purpose. Is there a ranking? Is there, a, is there a, an importance? Like, do you, do, do managers need to stress one over the other? Are they all equal or what? What do you, what would you say to that? Cause I never really found that in the book. Um, that's a good point. I never be, really thought about that. Yeah. Because throughout first break, all the rules, it was like very structured in the sense of like, okay, do this first. This is going to lead to this, yep. blah, blah, blah. So kind of like base camp. And yeah. as you go up, they, right. they, they build. Yeah, for sure. Um, that's a very astute question. I had never thought about that. Um, certainly I am not the professional here. I am not the expert in these areas, but if I had to guess, I would say they're probably equally. Yeah equally important i don't think because it almost <laughs> seems like if you uh, my kind of point with this is like i was thinking maybe if you build in like too much safety right like if you if you over stress one of these it also could be advice like it couldn't huh. always be good so I don't know. I mean, no, it's a good point. Yeah, yeah. That's a great point. Again, Matt, you're bringing up points that have just never come up in class. Yeah. Uh, you know, the importance, do, do, do you stress the belonging cues? Do you stress the, um, the, the purpose statement? I don't know. I, I'd probably say they're equal, but then what was the second point you made? Oh, I was just saying uh, like too sometimes much you could safety? overstress, right? Or like you, you're too vulnerable. Well, I think Dan in the book, he says that safety, uh, sorry, not uh, purpose-driven statements and, and mottos and like he, he seemed to think or he seemed to say the more the better because yeah. we as humans constantly need that, that, that echo chamber, that, that, that repetition. Uh, yeah. I think that's also true of the belonging cues. But the vulnerability, I think you got a point there. With the vulnerability, I think, and you brought this up several times in class, what happens if a coach literally in the middle of a tournament comes out and says, guys, I don't know what to do here. Yeah, yeah. And everyone's like, what? Are you cracking under pressure? Right. (laughs) You know, I I think if there's one of the three that you can't have too much of, I think it's probably the the vulnerability. Well, and you see that with relationships. You see that with just... You right. know, human relationships, right? Like yeah. sometimes when you are too vulnerable too quickly, I'm not saying like, I mean, this could be in like romantic relationship or just even a friendship, but sometimes I've found like, you know, people who overshare like, you know, these vulnerable qualities and all these, like all this vulnerable, th- all these different vulnerable things mm-hmm. when I guess I don't have that much safety with them. It's like, I don't know if this is like a good thing, you know? <laughs> Um, I'll share a story. So uh, a good friend of mine, I was in band with her in high school. Uh, we connected way, like my wife and I met her I and her husband. cannot wait for this, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Another Jeremy personal story. Uh, so my wife and I met her and her husband in, in Asheville, North Carolina. We had this great, like I hadn't seen her in 15, 18 years, long time. And it was so interesting to catch up with her. And she and I had several phone conversations and I, I really have no idea where this came out of. I don't remember in the context in which she said this, but she was talking about how wonderful her husband is and how uh, emotionally vulnerable he is and how he's able to express himself, which, mm-hmm. you know, when you typically think of the American masculine yeah. prototype, you know, he wasn't that. I mean, 
he's a good family man, great husband, great father to their kids. He's a drummer, really into me. They live in Nashville. Um, and, and the funniest thing, what you just said triggered this. It's like she, she basically said she had this aha epiphany moment when we were talking. She said, I love the fact that he cries. And I was like, oh, <laughs> tell, me, t- tell me more. I mean, I, I, uh, that's interesting to hear a woman's perspective on vulnerability with her husband and where's that sweet spot. And, and she basically said, but now that I think about it, if he were to cry too much, that wouldn't be a good thing. And it, and it was, it was this, this, this moment of her having this aha, like, oh, yeah, maybe that is a good thing, but only in yeah moderation. Moderation, and yeah. I think she realized. And and I was with like having the conversation with her, and and it was so fascinating to watch her be like, yeah, but that's probably not if always that was, great. Yeah, not yeah. always great. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's true of so much in life. Yeah. yeah. No. Yeah. Obviously, like everything's good in moderation, but I just. I was thinking about that as Are I was, drugs good in moderation. Yeah, that's. Uh, <laughs> Have we had this conversation yeah, before? I, I I got a funny story about that actually. So someone um, said, you know, heroin is that really good in moderation? Yeah, no. That they, they, <laughs> there, there, there's very few things that aren't good in moderation. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm I, not. Don't do drugs, kids. Yeah, but but to your point though, I I thought this was funny. Um, I I have a new uh, a new barber and uh, I've been seeing him and here up in Flagstaff and awesome guy, but I won't say his name, but anyway, we were just, uh, <laughs> we were, we were just chatting it up and, you know, he's like, Hey man, I heard you were out, you know, you went and had this little weekend trip. How was that? We're, we're just catching up and he's cutting my hair and I'm like, yeah, I'm good. And so I finally asked him, I'm like, Hey, how are you doing? You know, like, what have, what have you been up to? He goes, yeah, yesterday, uh, is my day off and, uh, I just treated myself to, uh, to a mushroom trip. And I just, I'd never heard it okay. in that, I'd never heard it in that context. Right. Like most people when, you know, in my experience in college, like when people do mushrooms, they're like going to an EDM festival or sure. like some crazy thing. But he was just kind of like, hey, just hanging I, out the house. Yeah. Yeah. He was just, listen, he was like, I love, I love to listen to albums like all the way through wow. and just kind of get the full experience of like a Hendrix or something. And then I just. That's an interesting hobby. Microdose, you know, mushrooms. But I was like, is his name Kevin? No. Okay. I'll 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 share it with you (laughs) off the air. (laughs) But yeah, no, I was just maybe good in moderation. I don't. I okay. It was a good story. Just to your point, but yeah. Um. So yeah, let's. Boy, uh, we we went really down a rat hole there. (laughs) Yeah. Like love, you know, female, male, vulnerability situations, and then drugs and yeah. Where else could we go? It's like the Rolling Stones, yeah. you know? Jeez Louise. Groundbreaking interview here. So, uh, so I, I kind of want to just get straight into belonging cues. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, which, which of these do you feel like is, you know, really important? Like, you could really stress, like, you know, obviously the whole, like, Popovich thing, you know, you're part of this Love group. Or, yeah, we're here for this. Um this is what we're trying to accomplish type of thing. I thought that was pretty good, but you know, when I think about the belonging cues, I think the most, this is something I've, boy, I'm really giving away my trade secrets here. Um, one thing I've really learned over the years of teaching is it's a balance of expectations. 
setting expectations and letting students or employees or you know whatever the context is your 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 people letting them understand the broader context of here's the decision i'm making as a professor as a coach as a manager here's my intention mm-hmm. and i've learned that that is huge if you don't manage people's interpretation of as much as you can i mean people always draw their own conclusions consciously unconsciously about other people's intent but i've learned over the years the more that i can speak to hey here's here's a, a policy this is why i'm doing this in class and here's my intent if people understand your intentions then i think that will go a long way towards building belonging towards building trust towards creating a, a good collaboration allowing people to be themselves genuine open honest mm. and 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 you saw that in the popovich story he, yeah. you know he his his players know i think that he he's if he's yelling at them it's because he loves them it's because yeah. he wants them to be better and I think if, if you if people understand that your intent is good, you have good intentions, that that will buy you a lot of space, hmm. a lot of lenience. And that's what I've learned with my students is look, you know, here's the reason I have this project or here's you know, here's why I'm doing the tests this way. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so describing like the why. Yeah, like, describing yeah. the why. Exactly. Yeah. Huh. Did you catch when I I kind of I kind of roasted Popovich in my exploding thought? Did you catch that? I don't one? remember. Yeah. I don't remember that one in specific because I, I read so many. Right. Yeah. No. I was just I was just saying. What did you say? Because they the U.S. team lost to France in uh, the first round of the Olympics, and Popovich was coaching. Oh, was he? Yeah. So I, how did you roast he, him? He ended up winning the whole tournament. So I mean, he obviously when you know he won the um, the entire like the gold, but the first game in the like the the bracket or not like in the bracket the little group sections that they do he lost to france or i think it was france or one of those teams huge upset and i was like well you know this guy can do all these belonging cues but he can't win <laughs> he can't win against france but um, well let, let me let me yeah. let me ask you a question cuz yeah, yeah. I, I love flipping the tables here um and maybe this is just parlance with how people speak of sports. But I, but what you just said, Popovich lost. Yeah. Why do we say that the coach lost? And why do we say that, that I guess we need to be equally discriminant here and say, why did they win? Mm. Did the coach win? Did the coach lose? What, what, what's, what's the correlation? Like, how much control does a coach have over his or her wins and losses i think i think coaches have a tremendous effect hmm. and in fact i'd say especially in like a division like the sec mm-hmm. i'd say most people would say mm-hmm. nick saban is the one who's won 17 national championships or whatever with alabama or whatever he's mm-hmm. done like uh, no they've won 17 total but whatever <clears throat> i think you know, there's there's a so there's been so many quarterbacks, right? And they call that like the CEO of the team, like the okay. the you know the most important player, right? So like you could name a thousand Alabama quarterbacks in the last ten years, like AJ McCarron, Jalen Hurts, Tua, all these different guys that play in the NFL, mm-hmm. and they've still 
I'm not saying that they're bad, but re- comparatively, they're not like the M- the NFL MVPs. Like a lot of them are backups, but they won national championships at Alabama. So it's like people look at that and go, "Yeah, Nick Saban's kind of the reason that this team is so dominant." Not really. So he's like the one consistent figure right. that yeah. is the common denominator. Okay. Yeah, I, I think I think a lot of college football fans, especially, would agree with that. And okay. then you know, I think. I look at, um, I don't know if you heard about this uh, situation, if you follow like uh, Pac-12 sports, but um, I don't. Jimmy Lake was the former head coach of the University of Washington where my parents went, and he just got fired because of, gosh, so many bad things. Like, if he could do everything from culture code wrong, I think he figured it out. <laughs> like, it was okay. the absolute worst tenure as a head coach I've ever seen as a Husky fan in, in as a college football fan ever um, just between like he they found like footage of him after a play was over he like kind of struck a player when he was like pushing him off the sideline but he mm-hmm. kind of like clipped him right in his helmet up and on his chin mm-hmm. I mean technically probably not a punch but I don't know I there was just so many bad things that he was doing he was talking trash on like other schools academic prowess and everything and mm. the guy was just a terrible guy but gotcha so yeah, I think I think coaches, it's all coaching, like in, in especially college. Like. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, leaders matter. Yeah. The culture that they create. You know, sometimes I wonder if there's a legacy effect where, you know, if uh, who's the head coach of the Patriots? Belichick. Belichick. So if Belichick, you can tell how much I know about NFL or any sports. Uh, if Belichick were to step away from the Patriots and some other probably lesser yeah capable person were to step in would the patriots keep winning no. you, th- you don't think so no it's all the coach yeah wow okay no. well it, it, the just nfl re- is a little different in that way okay i think it here's my thing like you look at a college football team i was just talking about this my friend goes to usc so usc huge pac-12 program yeah. probably the biggest you know on the west coast they have access to probably more funds more recruits mm. their location they're in the by the beach right yeah so if a head coach goes in there a turnaround could be as soon as one year because of like all the resources that they have gotcha. versus like an nfl coach you have to hand pick all of your players from a draft that you may or may not know you know there's so many rules about how much you're allowed to know about a player if they can okay. get you know whatever so it's like so much of the NFL is like well, then it sounds like structural, yeah, structural obstacles or structural components of coaching a, a college versus an NFL, right? Gotcha. Okay, so well, I, I learned I mean, something. You today. could probably say the same is true in, in companies, right? Because um, you know, like these maybe huge corporations like Google, this mm-hmm. being the NFL in this comparison, mm-hmm. you know, they can't if there's like all this corruptness and all this terrible stuff going on and this. Well, no, I, I meant to say uh, positive stuff. Yeah. So if they were if they were really successful, and then they had like a CEO change, it would probably seem like you know you could kind of just fill in, and it would be right. It would be okay. But wasn't that what Tim Cook did after Steve Jobs passed? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so is like Apple doing kinda, as well? Yeah. It, I'm asking. I don't know. Is Apple doing as well now? Um. Yeah. I, mean, I, I guess. Think, I think they are. Right. They're they're still. Their stock prices are still pretty high. Is Check it? Okay. That. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was okay. Yeah, that was a, that was a long little tangent there too. 
I love tensions. Yeah. This is uh this is feeling this is feeling pretty good though. I like how we're just going. Just talking. Yeah. Um so vulnerability loop. Um yeah. Wait, can we go back to the belonging cues? Yeah, you, yeah, yeah, you, yeah. you were kind of saying which one is more important. Now I'm just like searching my, my memory banks from like five minutes ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what started that? And it sounds like you were saying, were you asking me which belonging cues are more important? Yeah, no, I was just kind of asking for the outstanding belonging cues like that you felt like. And you were talking about sharing your intention. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I did go down a tangent there. I think the, uh, you know, I, I think the, oh, I'm just searching my memory banks here. I, I think probably uh, the, the creating an environment, asking questions. And one thing we saw across all three categories of vulnerability, belonging cues, and purpose statements is is a, 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 a lower hierarchy, if, mm-hmm. if any hierarchy. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Gore and Associates here in town, they they don't have job titles everyone's just an associate there's there's no there's very few leadership levels and 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 they get a lot done they they produce a lot of patents they they do a lot of innovation and it's it's really just all teamwork and i i think that's probably if you were to if you were to press me and say jeremy which is the most important factor for for all of culture to create to be created in a, in a more positive, productive way, I think it's the it's the lowering of the hierarchy, not having a an authoritarian Great, yeah, disparity. Or, yeah, just letting everybody kind of have a seat at the table. Yeah, I also think it kind of talks about like keeping the spaces safe, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's another huge thing. Like if um, I was just talking about this in one of my papers from my communication class, and uh, there's like the there's this theory called like the spiral of silence theory, which is Never that, it, the, basically the gist of it is like the minority opinion will kind of be silenced if they feel isolated. So like, and if you're in like a, okay. I talked about like my Thanksgiving dinner last year, and I was like. <laughs> Yeah, I don't Please share. share. I was just saying I I didn't share a lot of the same opinions, but I knew that there was basically no one around me that would support my ideas. Okay. So I was like I'm not going to push back. Right. Right. But losing um, battle. Yeah, it was, it was yeah, so it's just feeling isolated in that. Gotcha. And I think it's kind of the same thing. You can see that in culture like for sure in terms of like a workplace. If you feel like you know, you're the only person that feels one certain way about a project or this or that, you know, you're probably not going to speak up. So it, it, unless that space is really safe right. and that right. you know, manager is really fostering, okay, here, yeah, I want to hear everything. You yeah. know? So that was another big thing for the belonging cues for me. Very good point. Um, you know, I, and this kind of goes back to the John Cleese video uh, about creativity and innovation and having a, the open mode, having a space where there is no bad idea and one thing i've noticed is and i've noticed this in many fields academics corporate america if a manager starts to open up an environment where his or her subordinates or colleagues can uh, point out inconsistencies or hypocrisies or things that don't make sense for the group if a manager is optimizing and making decisions that are only good for him or her yeah 
then he or she does not want an open environment where people can say, hey, I, you know, why are you doing it that way? Because that doesn't seem to be working for anyone except you. Yeah. So, so if, if you do have a bad leader, he or she is going to squash that dissidence, that, that open forum. Yeah. So, so, so I almost think that if in order to have a good culture, you have to have a good leader. Yeah. And unselfish leader. Right. Yeah. Is part of that. Yeah. But. Yeah. I mean, I, I think we just kind of hit maybe a little bit at the core of why, why culture is so hard to create is because too often than not, we, we like to optimize for ourselves. Yeah. Everybody's, everybody does that and managers included. Well, and, and in my paper, uh, for the second book, that was like why I honed in on Al Dunlap was because I felt like he was right. the greatest example of somebody who was like totally self-interested and also a jerk. But, yeah. um, that was kind of like my point with that was like, I think this guy's kind of embodying almost all seven of these attributes as yeah. much as I can kind of get into, but, um, yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Vulnerability loops. Yeah. That's what you were going down. Vulnerability loops. <clears throat> I thought it was kind of interesting how, you know, you have to take like certain psychology and, you know, communication classes, like classes that I skipped my freshman year. Um, <laughs> but I do remember, I do remember talking about, you know, vulnerability and stuff like that. Um, and like these whole sending signals and then people respond and everything like that. But I just, I was trying to picture this like in a real time example of this, like, or at least a positive example of this. Cause like, I guess my mind just went straight to this person's talking about like their dead wife or something or like something like totally like taboo. Mm -hmm. But I was trying to like, think of like an example of like, okay, what's like a little vulnerability. What's like the, what's a good example of this? Like, do you think you have one? No, or? I got one. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I I try to do this selectively. It's uh, again, I'm opening the kimono, so to speak, on my my little academic tricks. Uh, I will, and, and I have good intent. I'll say that on the uh, say that from the offset is I will ask my students, and I genuinely care. Hey, what do you think about that? I'll sometimes pull a student aside, like a student that I trust that I know has a good perspective, a good uh, ability to, like we were talking about before the podcast today, yeah. interpret and understand nuance and the intricacies of, you know, why decisions are made. And so I'll pull a student inside and say, hey, you know, that, that didn't really work well today. Uh, what did you think? Mm -hmm. To me, that's a perfect example where as a manager, as a manager, uh, which is technically kind of what a professor is to a student, they, they have no... There's no motivation or uh, no reward for them to seek their students' counsel mm. and to use it. So it's kind of like, why would they do it? Yeah. Um, so they kind of forfeit some of their power. So I love pulling students aside, and I do this in every one of my classes at various stages. I'll say, hey, you know, how did that work today? Like, w what could I have done better? I think that's a perfect example. Like, if I, Matt, if I had pulled you aside after a class, I think I did at one point. Yeah. I, hey, yeah. how did that work? What, what 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 could I have done better? That that's kind of being vulnerable. That's saying, hey, I I acknowledge I'm human, and 
that didn't work in class. Why do you think that didn't work? Did, that that kind of drops that hierarchy a little bit. And yeah, gives you more voice. Gives you more. Do you think that that no yeah example I, that's works? a great example yeah I didn't even think about that Be, and and it also I think it goes both ways right because for me then I think wow you know Jeremy actually was like trying to be insightful of like what I thought about this class or like this specific thing so definitely made me more like wow uh, I've never got asked that before I was thinking about that too you know yeah how many how yeah. many professors and again I'm not chastising any other professors let me be clear about that but. Um, if you want to get better, who, who's your customer? My customer is you, and my product is education. It's learning. It's perspective. It's it's that and, is and a I, great analogy. And, and, I, like and, and yeah. I like to think that the way that I run my classes, I try as much as I can to utilize. Again, I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. I in class. I wish you were in class. Sorry, I'm calling you out. I, I wish you were in class last night because. Uh, Jackie brought up this really great point. Uh, the point was basically, um, oh shoot, I'm drawing a blank. Uh, her point, ah, oh, complete brain freeze. <laughs> if, if Jackie's listening to this, she's gonna be like going crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Matt skipped the class, and Jeremy can't remember my ideas. <laughs> um, uh, Oh crap! My brain just has completely gone blank. Uh, but but she was making a point that oh, complete. Well, it'll come back. Brain it'll fart. Come back. It'll come back. Okay. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's funny. Oh uh, oh oh. Le gotta, leading yeah. by example. So I I try as much as I possibly can to utilize these principles in in all my classes. I I try to lead by example. And, and I don't explicitly say that in class too much, again, because I make mistakes and I don't want people to learn from my, well, hopefully they can learn something positive from my mistakes, but Jackie would brought up, and I think I said something to her, I basically said, yeah, if, if she said, what's the takeaway? And I said, I want students, and it was kind of, of a, a different question that you ask at the beginning of this podcast, what's the most important thing? Like, what should we be taking from this? And, and I, I think I, I responded, I said, if student, if you guys, when you become managers or leaders, because there's a difference there, if, if, if you become either of these participants in your organization, if you were to take just one, just one strategy or technique from each of these three buckets of belonging cues, vulnerability, and purpose-driven uh, statements, because Daniel Coyle gives like, I think eight to 12 at yeah. the end of each section. If you were to just use one and, and just nail one, you'd be moving the needle dramatically in, yeah. in a culture. And, and that's what I try to do. I, again, I've completely forgot the origin of this conversation, like where we were going, but yeah, I, I just think it, it's hard. It's like, it's, it's impossible to do all these things. Yeah. And I think if you were to just take one or two, just like literally just try to do one or two, you'd move the needle dramatically. Yeah. Make that inch change. Yeah. Hmm. So you, you mentioned, um, this was another good point that I was, I, I, and you mentioned it in class, but how he's calling it like the, in that example with uh, Cooper, and how he's like, you can call me anything you you want, right. Coop, Dave, whatever. Yeah. Um, 
what the other word what is the effect of that and do, I, I was going to ask you this too like how do you feel when a student calls you jeremy i don't care or like j-bone j-bone i don't think he wants to use that <laughs> i would i would actually welcome the j-bone <laughs> like that that's cool it makes me sound hip yeah yeah uh, i'm down for that um i listen this is some this is a unique feature of my profession is i have noticed that some faculty when they get their phd you know they you know they love that doctor yeah. preface that that prefix of doctor and and I, I kind of felt myself a little bit like back in 2012 when I graduated with my PhD and I was like, oh, I'm Dr. Brees now. But I noticed just how much of a negative effect people, if, if, if I introduce myself as Dr. Brees or someone else, like, I, I hate the pretense of, of that moniker. I, and honestly, <clears throat> to me, that's only a way of creating more hierarchy. Mm-hmm. And and I've always I, I I made the commitment when I graduated with my PhD I would never mandate that anybody call me doctor because that's just stupid. Yeah. It's just it's just an it's just a prefix. It, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. And, and 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 I don't I give myself actually a lot of credit in in when I read these books some of these things not many but I've I intrinsically know I've, I've, I was in sales. I was in human resources. Maybe it was because of those that my prior professions that clued me into, oh, if I mandate that my students call me doctor or correct them, God forbid, in class, oh, no, it's Dr. Breeze. All that does is it just creates hierarchy and, and it, more distance and, and less, less safety. Yeah, less safety. Yeah. And, and, and I think that again tooting my own horn every now and again i i just i instinctively knew that some of these things like mandating somebody call me doctor was was just stupid there's no point for it yeah no point whatsoever serves no one yeah i've i've noticed that uh it's interesting and maybe you've seen this with your students but like generationally i've noticed people call me different things so like calling you yeah like in in just the short time from like my high school friends to my college friends Mm -hmm. they have like uh there was another matt that was kind of in our like you know uh that i played football with greater group so everybody called me matt luke the like full the my full name Mm -hmm. and i was like i always didn't really notice it and then i was just home i don't know a couple months ago or something and somebody said that to me. They were like, oh, I saw, we saw Matt Luque, and Matt Luque was doing this. And I was like, what is going on here? I was like, I didn't even, like, why is everybody calling me? And then my friend, uh, my good friend, who I played football with, I was like, it, it, everyone called me by my full name in high school, and I didn't even really notice it. But I just was thinking, like, you know, in that example, it was like, you can call me anything, I guess. I just didn't really even notice. But that's kind of subtle, but still... What did they call uh, the other Matt? They just called him Matt. Oh. So it was just Matt and Matt Luque, which was weird. Okay. But, yeah, I don't know. So I think I got a catchy last name or something. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, you do. Yeah. I think we both do. Luque, yeah, Breeze. Yeah, Breeze. Uh, I immediately th- think of Drew Breeze, but. Yeah, a lot yeah. of people do. Yeah. Truth be told, when I'm at TSA or, you know, car rental or whatever, and <laughs> I always get the question, any relation? And I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah, you say yes. And, and then I just leave it. 
I just leave it ambiguous. And, you know, I'm sure I've gotten bumped up in in you know from a, a mid-size to a <laughs> to a larger car every now and again just yeah I, that's drew Brees' cousin over there <laughs> and i had some interesting names growing up like the breeze breeze yeah just people would call me yeah people didn't know my name was breeze they thought it was breeze yeah yeah there's something about names i think we're on to something here yeah, like just being prefixes able to- and names. Like it, 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 it creates more hierarchy or it decreases the hierarchy. It, it, it. I'll tell you a time when it decreased the hierarchy. Okay. When uh, it was, most often does, right? Oh no, it oh, doesn't. Because no, if it, you add a doctor, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. But Go on. it definitely. Well, oh no, not decrease. I, I meant to say increase. Yeah, it increased the hierarchy when my football coaches called me uh, the princess because I was the kicker. So they're like princess over here, like they would always call well, me like that. I don't Cause know because I was kind of like a, I was definitely because you weren't playing. taking the hits. Yeah, because I was kind of like the like oh just out here to be on the football team, but I was a soccer player who just could kick. So oh, I wasn't okay. like I wasn't like a you know my academic brain, Matt. It <laughs> what 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 it's telling me now is that they were creating the in group and out group. And and they were letting you know quite directly <laughs> that you're not one of us. Yeah, you're here, yeah, kind of. You're but. token. Well, it was like you know what it was like. I guess I shouldn't say it. it almost had like a good and bad effect because it was like they would call me all right. sorts of stuff, but it also kind of made me feel like oh, you know, they like me because I'm I'm you know part of the fam here. But yeah. definitely the the stepchild for sure. But I don't know. It, that's kind of interesting because it kind of did both. But yeah, it did. Um, yeah, no, I think I think names. Though, I think it's uh, it's super important that people feel comfortable with like what they call you in any context, you know. And, and if you think, what purpose am I serving here in higher ed? It's to educate, and who the hell cares what my name is? It doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't have anything to do with educating. Yeah, so, I'm gonna call you J Bone or J Bone. Yeah. Hey, if you're listening to this <laughs> podcast. Secretly let us know by just slipping in J Bone at some point in my interaction. So I'll I'll just I'll give you like a little like what's up? Like little nod. Yeah. Like I get it. You're one of us. Yeah. You listened. J Bone. You're one of the eight people. <laughs> yeah, if they have forty two minutes in and they hear J Bone. That's hilarious. That's right. Very few people will make it to the end. Um so being you've I, I know that you'll you'll like this, but you you've definitely criticized leaders in the past books about not being able to take criticism and like criticism well so he talks about like using candor Mm -hmm. um radical yeah Yeah. like being like really direct about uh, brutal honesty versus what did he call it something candor was it was it radical candor there's a book out in the industry right now called radical candor oh yeah it it wasn't radical i know what you're talking about Yeah. yeah um Candor versus brutal honesty. Yeah, what's Daniel the difference was, there? Uh, I I think not caring for how you how you frame things. Like you mm-hmm. can be direct and honest, but you, you need to do it in a. The difference between candor and brutal honesty is brutal honesty has a a, a feeling or a twidge of this is personal. Yeah, and I'm yeah. pissed. Yeah, versus candor is. I'm acknowledging that this is difficult for you and, yeah. and it's diff, you know it's hard for me to give you this feedback but my intentions are pure here's the feedback I, I think that's yeah it all comes back to intention for me yeah and, and maybe that's for me you know what do they say er, to a hammer everything's a nail for some reason it just always comes back to intent 
I think my biggest thing has been empathy throughout all three books. Like when I look at interesting, yeah. where did you see? Tell me more about that. What do you mean empathy? So I just How did think you about see that across all three books. And I think I think this is hopefully what others did when I was reading. But when I read First Break All the Rules, the thing that just always stuck out was make people feel understood. Okay, right? I get that. And so like throughout the you know all sorts of books, I was trying to like you know all three, I was trying to find different you know, stories and bad leadership. And I think specifically like the Martha Stewart thing was like a good example of this where she was, you know, totally like didn't even care about her employees. Like, you know, didn't even seem to like notice if they were like struggling or anything like that. Mm. Um, if you had just a little bit like an ounce of empathy, I think you would, it would trigger something in your mind to be like, well, this should make me act a different way towards this person, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think like, obviously empathy is a great quality, but I just was noticing throughout this book as well. You know, if, if you try to put yourself in as like a leader into your subordinates position as like somebody who has to look up to you, it's like, what would I want to hear? You know? So always being like empathetic and like, okay, I know that I would know as a leader (laughs) I would want everybody who's below, you know, me technically to feel safe enough to say whatever they wanted to say. Yeah. And so with that, you would need to be empathetic of their situation and be like, oh, I remember when I couldn't say what I wanted to say. And this is how I'm not going to do that because I can see that my employees are probably holding back or whatever. So, yeah. You know, Matt, let me make a comment here. That's a really interesting thought. That that's an interesting theme that you found throughout the series of books. And and one thing that just triggered in my mind was, is based on what you were saying, is leaders hold a lot of power. Yeah. And they don't realize how they wield it. They, if you're not paying attention, like for example, I've learned in in just managing my classes. It, like it can take me months to build trust in a in an environment where every student feels open and and capable of contributing and not feeling like they're they're called out for mm-hmm. it. I can say one thing wrong and it just will will ruin everything I've done for the last two months. And I've done this repeatedly, not intentionally, but uh, p- leaders don't realize like. There's a subtle thing. You may not have ever thought about this, but as a faculty member in a classroom, over the years, the 10 years that I've been teaching, I realize that I hold, like everybody is constantly paying attention to everything I do. Yeah. For better or worse. And, And I've had students pull me aside, thankfully, and, and say, hey, I, I, I didn't, when you did this, it made me feel this way. And I was like, oh my God, I'm, I'm so sorry. I, I just, it almost kind of makes me worried because th- if students are reading or watching everything I say and do, the micro facial expressions that I make, yeah, they're, they're looking for genuine feelings. They're looking for consistency and how, and if I violate that, it's, uh, you're just you're constantly on a stage and 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 you you want to build rapport you want to build connection you want to build camaraderie but sometimes you can go too far 
or yeah. you can say something that just didn't it just didn't land right. Yeah. And and leaders need to understand that everything they do is so important and can be positive or negative and sometimes you can't control that. Yeah. Well, and, and your students are not on stage too. They they have the luxury of being able to look at everything you do without being you know, having to be critical of like their own you know, right. I mean, their own situation like constantly because like i i could see yeah. how i could see how if i was you know really looking to find dirt on j-bone i would <laughs> I, I would just you know i would i wouldn't have to worry about things that i said i could sit in your class and not say a single word and right. think about everything <clears throat> that you said and just yeah yeah just point the finger. That's kind of like yeah. what it's like to be a public figure. Yeah. Or a leader. You know, everybody's got an opinion. Yeah. No, I got you. That's a good yeah, point. Yeah, I just, I, I think that a lot of faculty and professors and teachers across the world, they don't realize how much power they have. And they don't appreciate that what they say and what they do contributes dramatically to class culture and to student willingness. Mm-hmm. To... to be vulnerable and yeah yeah so uh here's here's another good one too this is uh embracing the use of catchphrases this is my favorite part of this book i'll preface with that but uh, why was it why was it your favorite part you know i I, obviously i mean i i know you've picked up on me being a huge sports fan but i was just like you know i think about like leaders and specifically ted lasso i put this in my explaining thought. i need to watch that show you got to watch that yeah it's, give me it, your give me your password password <laughs> then i'll watch it exactly <laughs> um but yeah like ted lasso is such a great leader at this you know in in this case he's uh he's coaching he's a football american football coach coaching an english premier league soccer team and he doesn't know a single thing about soccer and so it's just do you need to yeah, exactly. That's the point. Is like, oh man, that was that came out wrong. Point, but uh, anyway, so he he just has like all of these you know analogies and these stories and these you know he's just the most stereotypical positive you know optimistic storytelling leader like in this situation, right? Creating mm-hmm. this great culture, mm-hmm. and so it's it's just i i don't know i just think that's such a it rings true to me and, and in my life because i think that's why like the show won seven emmys is like people love it, it and people i think resonate because it's positive yeah it, it, positive but almost like corny you know like with these catchphrases oh my god okay this is exactly what i was saying in class last night the one that you missed yeah um <laughs> thanks for sharing <laughs> is um that purpose statements the i don't think the i don't i i I said this in class i said so many managers and leaders don't don't share purpose because it sounds so silly and cheesy Mm -hmm. And, and we talk about this in my hr class when we talk about empowering our employees it's about creating purpose and so many managers don't do this because they, they think they have a reputation. They, they, they want to be respected. And yeah. if you were to come into you know your workplace and say, hey, this is the reason we're working and we're helping Americans, what, what, you know, whatever, the, the, it just sounds cheesy. But here's the thing. If you do it enough, if you genuinely believe it, then your employees will believe it too. And they will adopt that as their purpose, as their yeah. – as their as, – as, 
what you just said hit a total jackpot by the way i'll i'll, I'll let you uh finish what you're saying but no i i, I just i in my estimation, and I have no data to point me in this direction, I just think that a lot of leaders don't share and provide their employees purpose because they're scared they'll look stupid. Right. They're scared that they'll, that people will see right through it. And and I think if you believe it, it won't it, it maybe it'll sound a little cheesy, but People want to have purpose in their life. This is when we've had, we've talked. I remember when you did come to class. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I just keep hounding on about that. I'm sorry, Matt. You, you did come to at least ninety to ninety five percent of the classes. So props for that. <laughs> um, um, but another brain brain freeze. Um, I, I just think that yeah, purpose is important. Yeah, and a lot of people, and and like I said, we've discussed this multiple times in class. Yeah. Well, what you said though, yeah, what was, was the aha moment? Was the is if you're if you believe it, your employees will, right? For sure. That's what Ted Lasso put up on the wall was belief. That oh, was his whole okay. Thing. So yeah, just like cool, even more trying to entice you to watch it. <laughs> um, you don't have to. But I'm yeah. excited to see it. <clears throat> so yeah, no, I just like I think about like all of the leadership that I've experienced in my life, it was like they, they had these little, you know, like you said, the action oriented little statements. Um, like, you know, the, the whole do your job thing. And, um, just the, just the leadership that I've encountered. It's like, what did you think about the, sorry to interrupt, but what do you think about, did you remember reading the higher people, the Ed, Ed Cahill isms, Ed isms from the last few chapters? Yeah, yeah. Talks about how Ed at Pixar, he had some Edisms that, that kind of build and support purpose. And, yeah, and yeah. One of those was always hire people better than you. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that one? Yeah, I do remember what, that. Did, did that strike a nerve? Did that strike a... Always hire people better than you. Yeah, no, that, that like that's the kind of thing that you hear that. Um, and if it's short enough, it really sticks, like in my opinion, with people. Like if I were to mm. say just to you, like, you know, listen to this podcast and we'll teach you about culture and everything like that, you know, whatever. But instead of just saying like, you know, I guess I, I, I want to like read one, but like create fun and a little weirdness, right? Tony Shea, Zappos. Yeah, yeah for yeah, sure. Exactly. Like people, people hear that, you know, versus. And it resonates. It, exactly. It, yeah. it, it, there's something very human about the phrases that, that, that work. Yeah. But so yeah, it's almost like creating a, a logo or a, yeah, you know, visually know. or motto. Like I, I'm curious about the psychology that goes into that. Yeah, How do you create a purpose statement that resonates, that's human, that's humanized, that is relatable, that's actionable? Yeah, it's hard. No, exactly. It's, and it's that's, simple, but it's hard. Yeah. Well, and it's uh, like, do you believe in miracles? Have you heard? You heard the? Uh, have you seen Miracle, the hockey movie? Yes, but it yeah. was a long time ago. Like I, I guess what I'm saying is like people always, you know, when you're the underdog and you're in a football locker room, it's like, do you believe in miracles? Right? Like we have an opportunity, and like this is there's a lot layer into that, right? Like yeah. the context of that. Yeah. I don't know. I was just trying to think about, you know, football is such a good example of this because I used to hear this stuff all the time, but. Um, 
Yeah, no, I just, I, I feel like those were some of the most impactful moments for me as a person. Like, you know, being in a locker room and hearing like these sorts of things like, you know, do your job or, you know, whatever it might have been. I, I just wish I had like, I wish I could ask my football coach or something, but. Um, hey, I'm going to flip the script again. What, if you had to assign a purpose statement for this course, what would that be? Like one of those little short ones. Yeah, yeah. one of those little short ones. And, and I understand I'm putting you on your heels here. Cause, yeah. And maybe we can come back to it if you want. But I'm, I'm curious. Like just, there's no wrong answer here. Yeah. Top of mind, hmm. craft something. Like, because the students asked me, or I think I asked them last night, and, and there was like a, a hush and a quiet fell over the class for a moment, and we're like, oh, how, like, what, what, what would be the purpose statement for this course? Yeah. I would say, maybe we can talk about it on the next podcast when, is there going to be another one? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We're going to do one more. We can, we can maybe start it off with that. Okay. I'll kind of ponder okay. that. We'll come back to that. But I'm trying, it would have to be, it would have to integrate something along like, Obviously, yeah, I think empathy would be a word in there. Okay. For sure. For me. For you. Um, um, yeah, so is there is there anything else outstanding that you wanted, that you were kind of hoping to talk about or um, we could kind of get to? I have... I, no. I think we've covered a lot of... We covered the three buckets. Yeah. We pretty much, and I think we did what you were talking about with honing in on like specifically one of them, right? Like if right. you could just pick one of these things. So in our case, we just talked about, um, just to reiterate, we talked about building safety. So that was like um, low hierarchy. Yeah, sharing know, intent. Uh, physical inner, you know, physical touch. Yeah. Uh, fast exchanges humor yeah um yeah and then we talked about belonging cues kind of yeah i think that was actually sharing your intent actually that's what we were talking about with that yeah and then the vulnerability yeah what's counterproductive or not counterproductive but counterintuitive with that is that most people tend to think I need to wait for someone else to be vulnerable in order to trust them. Whereas it's actually the opposite. It's you need to be vulnerable first. And then the second party, the second person's response is the most important in the sense that they have to mirror or ro or shoot that vulnerability back. And then that builds trust, mm -hmm. trust, trust, <laughs> it builds trust. <laughs> um, I, I think out of all of these, out of the three buckets, probably the hardest one to operationalize and think about how to use it, and that's that that's most difficult for people. I think it's the vulnerability. Yeah, because we we have such implicit leadership theories in our brains of I got I got to be confident, I got to yeah. be strong, I got to be good leader, and it's counterintuitive. You know, if if I if I share that I don't know what I'm doing in this moment or for this business decision. Am I going to lose the trust of my team? There's there's a there's great potential for loss there for a leader if you're in a position of great stature. So yeah, and then I think we can kind of confidently say then that especially vulnerability that needs to be done kind of in moderation over the other two. Like you yeah. wouldn't want to overshare. You wouldn't want to do something that would lose trust or whatever. 
Um, yeah, there's a sweet spot, I think, for vulnerability. Yeah. And, and I love also that, that Daniel says what's most important for vulnerability is uh, handling that first disagreement for mm-hmm. a leader handling the first disagreement and admitting failure or a mistake that's really important and the first vulnerability so it, again it, it, it in my mind it kind of brings me back to my hr world where we talk about making impressions that recruiters only spend about six seconds with your resume and a hiring manager often spends only about 40 seconds looking at your resume so uh, and i even said in class Statistically speaking, if I were to have asked my Management 300 class, your class, within the first three minutes of your very first day interacting with me, if I had had you rate my teacher evals within the first three minutes of meeting me on the first day of class versus right now when you're, you mm-hmm. and your colleagues are filling out my teacher evals, there would be a very high correlation between them, which, which is shocking to, yeah. to think that that people, but it's it's a natural thing. People make snap decisions and judgments based on so many subtle and, and obvious and unobvious cues, whether they like me or not. Yeah. And then that affinity or liking for or disliking can then just manifest throughout the entire semester. And that, but yeah, it does do that. It's under just I, I think the the, the whole idea of how to be a good leader is just to understand psychology yeah and some of it is so counterintuitive and maybe that's why so many bad leaders exist right because it's so counterintuitive people focus on the wrong things yeah that's interesting you say that about like the first three minutes being highly correlated with your your final email i I forget what the stats were i think it was like somewhere between 70 to 90 percent correlation which is pretty high that's incredibly high it seems I'm, like I'm pulling that out of thin air, no, but I'm yeah. pretty sure that number's in the range. Right. Wow. I and I wonder that. if that's true for man uh, for sorry for teachers and students because we do it too. You know, we look at students yeah. and think, "Oh, that's going to be a slacker. I can feel yeah, it." Yeah. Yeah. Uh, or, "Oh, that's a really motivated person." And I, I got to tell you, yeah, I've been wrong so many times. Huh. So many times. Yeah. My mom used to always say that to me. She was like, "When I first went to college, she's like, you you need to make sure that." In the first month, your professors don't think of you as a B student, and that will that, that, that will be a huge service to you. So yeah, I don't know. I, That's very good advice. Yeah, and, and I'll say this again. I'm kind of like opening the kimono. I, I got to tell you, like whenever students stay after class and ask questions, and when students come to office hours or share, you know, hey, I saw this story. I thought you would enjoy it. Right. Man, like I, I know enough to realize I'm being influenced here, but yeah. I don't care because the students showing engagement, showing interest in a topic that I have interest in. So yeah, it it's making you feel understood. Yeah, <laughs> and, and <laughs> it goes both circle. ways. And yeah, 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 it does. But yeah. Right. No, well, hey, I think we want to want to wrap it up here. Yep. Um, this has been a great, great talk with Jeremy, and uh, we'll be looking forward to our fifth podcast. We'll kind of just go full, uh, full Rogan and and go off the rails. So, really excited <laughs> about it, and, uh, and thanks for joining me, Jeremy. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you for having me again. All right.